Do you want to make games? Join the WVU Game Developers Club. They meet every Thursday at 6.30 in the Evansville Crossing, room 412. No prior experience is necessary. They help you make your first game, regardless of what background you have. Uh, everyone is welcome. You can check them out on Twitter at WVUGDC. Also check out their Facebook page. We hope to see you there. Hey, and welcome to Game Talk Episode 20. I'm your host, David Mion. Today I'm joined by Michael. Hello. And Connor. Hey, guys. And our first topic today is going to be talking about getting people who don't know anything about video games into video games. I'm sure everyone who listens to this show and all of us have had an experience or two where we're really passionate about playing video games, but someone we're close to doesn't know anything about them or doesn't care for them, and we really try to we really try to get them on board with something we love. So I kind of wanted to just throw that out there. Something we talked about last week, uh, narrative games, I think those are a really good bridge for people who don't know anything about games to get into them. I kind of agree with that, but um, I don't see somebody like jumping from narrative games to shooters or to Mario or something. Exactly. So, like I don't know yeah. if it really gets them into gaming. It just gets them into that narrative genre. games. Yeah. So what do you think it how do you think you could get them into other genres of games or and have you in the past? Um yeah, a little. I think like you you have your like classic go-tos like anybody can pick up and play a Super Mario game probably, like New Super Mario Bros. Um, that's how I got my, my little brother into gaming. Um, so something that's like mechanically simple, but very, like has a lot of depth to it. Yeah. And I feel like any, like, like in more recent games, like Yoshi's Woolly World is like co-op and the newer new Super Mario Bros. games are co-op so they can like play it with you. And like, if they're having trouble, it's not that big a deal. You can still progress and they have like plenty of freedom to like figure out the controls and stuff. Yeah, that's definitely one avenue. Another one, and personally one that's worked for me, it's not really on the mechanically simple side, more so on, like, the cinematic side. So games like Uncharted, for example, a lot of my friends who don't play games, like, if they see me playing Uncharted, their eyes, like, attracted to it, and they're like, ooh, what's that? It looks like a movie. That's something they say a lot. It looks like a movie, you know? Movie is something everyone can relate to, and if the game can kind of be that bridge that... It's if the game can be movie esque, then it's easier for someone to relate to it and get into it. Right, but I'd be hesitant to have somebody start on um, on really any 3D game except for like new or uh, Super Mario. Uh, what is it? The Wii U Mario game. Um, new New Super Mario Bros. U. No, Super Mario 3D, 3D World. 3D Thank World. you. Yeah. So like, people have a ton of trouble <laughs> controlling. Like, doing dual shock controls or dual stick controls when they first start. Controlling a camera is generally, like, hard for somebody That's to figure out. That's a really good point to bring up. Yeah, I've had several people complain that, like, how are you supposed to control, like... A lot of people can either control, like, where they move or where they look. And, right. And not both simultaneously. That's, like, a learned skill. Yeah, um, like, like I, I know people that can, like, beat me at Super Smash Bros. regularly. Like, they just cream me. But they can't, like... They can't play Breath of the Wild or any first-person shooter or any game like That's that because they can't figure out the camera. Like, they can yeah. do anything in 2D. They just they can't walk and use a camera at the same time. And another thing for people who are kind of unfamiliar with games, starting in first-person, I think, is a big 
is is more difficult. Yeah. Than being in third person. Because they're looking for what they're controlling. Yeah. And in first person, you can't see that. Like as a kid, I, I couldn't play a first person game. I couldn't figure it out. Right. Right. Like, it just was too weird for me. And it's definitely it's it's weird to talk about this kind of stuff because, right, as we are now, it's just second nature. But you can you can imagine if someone's never seen a video game before, just the notion of like two separate like using your left hand to move and your right hand to move the camera that's that kind of like a, a very your, yeah alien thing to do pat your head and rub your belly yeah situation it can be yeah i think there are some games that are good to like introduce people to that though like i would say a lot of earlier like n64 era games because they were still trying to teach how to use a camera back then so like <clears throat> your zelda ocarina of time or majora's mask your super mario 64 Right. Because people, you know, people like developers were still figuring out the cameras, and actually players were. Uh, any PlayStation stuff, too, like Spyro. Anything where you have to control Like the, the early platformers and stuff. Yeah. Or like a slower game, like, you know, don't start them with Call of Duty, start them with Portal. Like a game where they don't have to be able to do it quickly. You know what's interesting is, I mean, I don't know how many of us know, like, younger people who are into games, but, like, the couple I know seem to have gotten their start with Minecraft. Which, yeah. Uh, which to, I think that, a lot of kids... complicated Yeah, game a lot of kids to... get their first game experience to be Minecraft nowadays. And, I mean, just looking at that from my, like, breadth of game knowledge, Minecraft's a pretty complex first game to play. You know, certainly more complex than the first game I ever played. I mean, especially early on, because it didn't have, like... It didn't tell you how to craft anything. Yeah, early on, and it still doesn't in game. I don't think, not really. I think it does now. They just updated it with that. Okay, but back when I played it, like you, you just kind of had to memorize all the crafting. Yeah, which that was that was like an older mechanic. They definitely have like included blueprints now and everything. Okay, but yeah, like I think that like smaller kids are just really drawn to Minecraft for whatever reason. I don't know if it's like the aesthetic or just like the creativity that you can. Because it's like, it, I feel like it's the modern day equivalent of like playing with Legos. Yeah. Almost. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's an interesting point there, too, though, that a little kid will learn a lot faster, I think, than like. That's true. Somebody in their 20s that you're trying <laughs> to get into games. Like, they're, a, a little kid, like, I don't know, they're used to having trouble with stuff, I guess. You grab somebody in their 20s and they're going to get frustrated and. True. Things like that. Or potentially, you know, not everybody, but kids just <laughs> learn quick. So I definitely think you can uh, – I would start an adult on a mechanically simple game and a kid on whatever they're interested whatever they, in. Yeah, whatever they want to play. Yeah. There's also things that are called, like, dad games, like Civ. The grand, par- all the Paradox Grand Strategies are all considered, like, dad games or games that you'd show your dad and your dad would play for hours upon hours upon hours. I agree with that because those are, like – they're not mechanically simple, but they're, like – board games almost they're very in-depth and you can get really lost in the mechanics and i have before several several hundred times right like for civilization with example ultimately all you're doing is pointing and clicking things you know yeah everyone who's used like a web browser can wrap their heads around that so yeah i can i could see why that some it, it doesn't seem intuitive that something as complex as civilization could be like a first video game for someone but it's if they're not- into strategic things and like they're familiar with using a mouse. I mean, why not, right? Same with an RTS. RTSs could also be a very nice first game. See, I'm not sure an RTS would be, though, because I think Civ is good because, like, 
they can take their sweet time figuring things out and all, and there's no penalty for that. But with an RTS, like, it's time-sensitive. With any action game, it's very time-sensitive. Like, there are penalties <laughs> for them sitting there playing with the controls. Yeah. But some, most RTSs are very, especially, like, I'm going to use StarCraft example because, you know, it's one of the better ones out there right now. Its campaign is variable speed, so you can play it as slow as you want, or you can play it at very fast, which is multiplayer speed. Oh, really? Yeah, so you could play it to where it's re- very slow, or you could play it where everything moves at multiplayer speeds. I think I play the campaign around normal, but I could just turn it up to multiplayer speeds because I could handle that. Huh. But well, you could choose. <laughs> I do think for someone who's just getting into games, having something that doesn't have like strict time confinements is good. Like... You're trying to get them into something. You don't want to scare them away with like how hard something could be or like how punishing certain systems are. Um, and that's why I uh, like I, I really like your civilization example because you could just take as long as you want every turn. You know, it, the game really does just move at whatever pace you want it to. Unless you're playing multiplayer, which right, case yeah. you'll anger everyone if you take four hours per turn because people have lives and they don't want to wait four hours for so you, you to do your thing. So you brought up um, multiplayer games. With with how popular Fortnite is right now and how mainstream it is right now, you you imagine that some people's first game might more than likely be Fortnite. Oh, I've seen a lot of people who've um, a, a lot of guys who've gotten their girlfriends into Fortnite is what it looks like to me. Yeah, like, and uh, yeah, and that to me is just crazy. Like, yeah, we said. Third-person controls are more intuitive than first-person controls, but a game as fast-paced and frenetic and and complex as Fortnite being your first video game, it's just mind-boggling. Right, but at the same time, there's a good chance that they've spent a fair number of hours watching their boyfriend play it. That's true, yeah. You know, or you know, their boyfriend or girlfriend, their significant other playing it. And, like, I was really into, um, this is an- a sort of, related. I was really into a game called Don't Starve for a while, and my girlfriend at the time was just hanging out while I was playing it all the time, and eventually she started telling me I was doing everything wrong, you know. And she was right. She was actually she ended up being better at the game than me without ever having played it just cuz it was like she was she got interested in it, looked stuff up on the internet. And that's and, that's a really good point you bring up, and I feel like that's kind of how kids get into Minecraft too. Like YouTube is a oh, very yeah. accessible thing for pretty much everyone and i think a lot of these kids see videos of minecraft on on youtube and then you know just try it out themselves yeah i think the more i think about minecraft though, the crazier it is as a first game because like if you're having trouble with the controls like the, the clock starts instantly like you have to find food you have to get shelter before you get attacked unless i guess they could start in creative mode they or could something. but yeah. yeah i feel like a lot of kids wouldn't like because yeah. they're gonna want to fight zombies and stuff yeah there's a there's a very real appeal to just starting out in a random world and like beating down your first tree to get wood you know? oh yeah um, yeah I think um yeah I think Fortnite's not the worst first game in the world though because like I mean the 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 core loop of Fortnite's very simple like you drop you find guns you shoot people like I'm like I'm, I'm just imagining like the volume of skilled people like playing Fortnite like so many of the people who play Fortnite have been playing video games for years you know like how is someone who just jumps into a third-person shooter for the first time going to... I mean, I'm sure they can still have fun, but they're not going to have much success for a long time, I imagine. I mean, I've seen people that, as far as I know, were not gamers 
until very recently posting wins in Fortnite on Twitter and stuff. Like, it happens. That's like, crazy. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they just pick something up that they are naturally good at. Strategy is important. I mean, it's more than one person. Like, mm-hmm. And, like, a lot of them are complaining about not getting wins, but they're, like, you know, second place or third place. Like, yeah. still, like, way better than I'm doing. Yeah, that's crazy. I've been playing video games for <laughs> pretty much since I was born, and I've only won two games of Fortnite. But there's also a small chance that, like, these people have played games for a long time, and it just wasn't cool, so they didn't talk about it, you know? Mm, and yeah. I just didn't know. Could be. You've only won, like, two games? I've won several now. The explosives <laughs> mode doesn't count. I've won several outside of explosives mode. I've never gotten in the top ten, so. Mm. My first, like, solo game, I was top ten. Like, number four or something. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm Michael. I'm good at video games. I'm trash at video games. That's the thing. I think you just got insanely lucky then because there's no I'm way. I'm very good at hiding in bushes. Okay. Bushstrap well, carried that, me up to my first almost solo victory. That explains that. Otherwise, um, you know, you give me a rocket launcher and it's all over. Uh, one game I want to call out in particular that has been very successful um, and getting some of my friends who don't know about games playing is Until Dawn. Until Dawn's like a, it's a horror game in which uh, the premise is like eight teenagers stay in a cabin in the woods overnight and there's a serial killer present. And there's like choices you make and like th- depending on how you play the game, uh, all eight of the kids can could die by the end or all eight could survive or any permutation of them could live or die. Right. And I've heard of it. It's a very it, cool game. Yeah, and that in particular, I I'd often, when it came out, get groups together, and we'd all just sit down and like play through all like seven hours of it, and everyone would have a blast. <laughs> and for a lot of these friends, it was their first time ever touching a controller, and like a, a lot of the games, a game is based off of like quick time events and like stuff like that. But good chunks of it, you're moving characters around. Granted, you don't have any control of the camera, so it's simple. It's more simple for someone who doesn't have experience to do that sort of thing, but, like, it was a good gateway into video games. Right. I think another really good <laughs> gateway is, uh... I don't know if it's a good gateway into video games. Uh, I think that's yet to be seen, but virtual reality, it tends to be, like, you can hand VR to anybody, and they're gonna figure it out in a couple minutes. That's... Like, actually, you you bring up an excellent point, like... I put my sister in a headset and gave her super hot, and I had to... I told her what what the buttons do, and she was fine. Like, and she does not game at all. I've given VR to someone who's never even touched a game before, period. Like, VR was their first gaming experience, <laughs> as wild as that is to think. That's crazy. And, you know, as it, it, it's inherently intuitive for the most part. I mean, some things can be... Yeah, I mean, the well-designed games, like, yeah. But, uh, but, like, the great thing about VR is it, replace, it replaces the right stick on the controller with your head. Mm-hmm. You know, you just need to look around. Right. You don't have to manipulate another thumbstick to do that so like the combination of moving with the stick and looking around with your head is way more intuitive to people who haven't touched a controller before right also just they have room scale vr they're just walking around interacting with things right that's even better yeah just while we're on the topic of vr do you guys think that vr is going to be a huge like gateway point for people into games i think it will because you see all these like People putting Gear VR on their grandma and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very cool, like, novelty right now, but in, like, 10 years when VR is just another way of c- 
consuming media or playing a game or whatever. I have a hard time thinking anybody's going to buy VR and only watch movies on it. Like, Well, there's such a thing as VR movies, right? They're like these right, yeah. artsy short films in VR where you're like... Yeah, where it's 360 yeah, look around and, yeah. and stuff. I just don't know that that's going to be like compelling enough to push the price point of VR. Like, I don't know. We'll see. That's that's a really tough prediction to make. I think. But yeah, I think that's a really cool insight. How like the VR has the potential to attract so many new people to the industry. I know when I got um when I first got a Google Cardboard, and like that's pretty <laughs> pretty low tech as far as VR goes. But I was in a dorm room, and just I had a bunch of friends there that weren't into gaming and all. But like. I just I just brought up Google Earth and you could like fly around in it and like for all intents and purposes that's a game you're just flying around Earth in VR and I handed it to them and they like had a blast with it yeah very exciting yeah so I think yeah I think lower cost VR could get people into gaming for sure or at least into VR gaming yeah uh so speaking of VR uh, a topic I wanted to discuss with you guys this week is uh, the concept of social VR games like VR Chat, Rec Room. Um, I think there are some others, but those are the only two I've played. So, uh, do you guys have any experience with those at all? VR Chat is, oh man, <laughs> it's an it's a time. I don't even have a VR, but I've seen people with VRs go all out for VR Chat, like taping, motion sensing. Uh, IR whatever on their feet so that their feet move in VR chat. Wow. All out. Like, it's ridiculous how much people will put into that. Um, I personally haven't played any social VR uh, games or anything like that, but I have read about it quite a bit, and I think it's a really interesting concept. So- um, just the Just the notion of everyone in a VR set, you know, moving around in a space like as whatever avatar you want i think is something that's kind of like it's a weird like almost futuristic concept that's starting to like emerge so i have now i have beef with vr chat i don't think it's a very good game i don't think it's very good is it even a game it's just no it's not a game service it's It's just engine it's just unenjoyable to me because like it's not optimized well like it, it makes my vr set lag and like nothing else has yet that I've tried. So like I you know, the frame rate drops, I get nauseous. There's also just like like you walk in and there's just a bunch of people and VR chat allows people that don't have VR to play as well, like Michael was talking about. And there's just a bunch of people goofing around, like making weird anime jokes and stuff. And yeah. I just I didn't find it fun at all. I didn't get immersed. It's it's it, I think it's more of an experiment now than anything. But, like, I think what we have now is going to lay the seeds for, like, some really cool experiences in tech in the future, you know? I think so. I don't have a problem with social VR, though. I have a problem with VR chat because the other game I mentioned, Rec Room, is a ton of fun. It's, um, it's probably my favorite VR game out right now, and it's free to play and cross-platform with every VR platform other than mobile VR. So, um, basically, Rec Room is just, like, it tosses you in this gymnasium, and there are a bunch of different sports you can play. Like, you can play disc golf. It teleports you to a map for that. There's soccer. There's um, paintball. There's laser tag, stuff like that. And uh, there's also a couple of quests that are more like traditional games, like RPG-style stuff. But um, uh, the most of my time in it is spent in the lobby, and there's, like, a ping-pong table, a dartboard, some basketball hoops, and, like, there's no formal scorekeeping or anything. It's just, like... It puts a bunch of people in this room, and you can go mess around with all these physics objects. 
and talk to people. And they have these avatars that y- you have no idea who they actually are, obviously. But um, it's just cool. Like, you're in public in your house. And so, like... Yeah, that's kind of the big draw for VR chat. You're in public in your house. And yeah. Go ahead, Michael. The thing about, like, VR chat is, as Connor said, people make weird anime jokes, but that's part of the fun for some people is to, you know, go dressed as a very, very stereotypical, like, shubby, weeb kind of guy and run around making crappy anime jokes and hopefully getting someone that looks at you and like, I appreciate that. See, the climate's totally different in Rec Room because in Rec Room, I'm like... I was walking around, and, like, this guy just threw a ball at me, and I caught it, and I threw it back, and I just started talking to him. Like, we just had a conversation throwing this ball back and forth. Wait, when you say conversation, you actually spoke to him? Yeah, like, I was just talking, yeah. Yeah. And, like, the mouth moves in VR and everything when you talk, and, like... See, that's... I need to check this out sometime, because it's it's just, like, it sounds so cool and weird, and... Yeah, it's really cool, and, like, I was walking around the other day, and there was, like... There's, like, this weird balcony, and from the balcony you can see one of the basketball hoops. And, like, somebody was on the ground throwing balls up to the to this girl who was on the balcony. And this girl was trying to make a basket from the balcony, and it was, like, crazy hard. But, like, the whole the whole lobby just gathered around watching her try that's, to make this. And, like, some cool. people went up and tried to do it as well. And some people stayed on the ground. I can't even, like, I can hardly, I'm very bad at normal basketball, so VR basketball, you know, puts me down. But, like, I still have fun with it. I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very fun. And, like, I'll be playing paintball and stuff, and, like, it's you can't talk to your team unless they're right next to you because it's location-based talking. And, like, that's a problem that you don't experience in most games. But, again, it's, like, more, like, it, it's slightly closer to reality because, right. you know, like, you can't talk to someone unless they're close to you. And you can overhear the other team talking. Right. And, like, you can talk to them after you die. You, like, stand there for a minute, and you can, like, you can, like... You don't want to be mean to people after you've killed them. Like, you, you want to be like, oh, God. Yeah, like, that one layer of anonymity is kind of removed yeah. when, we, when you do VR social stuff. So, like, last night, I'm playing VR. I, I was playing Rec Room, and, like, I'm in my pajamas in my home, you know. I, you know, I could not be wearing pants, potentially. Like, you know, I could be standing there just in my own house, comfortable. But at the same time, I'm in public, and I'm sitting there, and, like, like I have to burp. And I, I don't because I'm in public that's right su- now. That's like, like such weird cognitive dissonance. Yeah, you know, that's, like I'm in a public space. I don't want to make a ton of noise. Like, yeah, that's so weird. Like I just can't imagine wrapping my head around something like that. And like I, I accidentally tapped my wall like pretty lightly with my controller, and I was like embarrassed because like I, I, you know, I just did that in front of God and everybody. Yeah. <laughs> See, like, I think like what we're seeing right now is definitely like the first steps into social VR. Like, kind of what I predict next to happen is, like, this concept taken a little further. Like, like you know, like the Nintendo's Mi Plaza, you know, except with VR. That exists. Like that. If, you is- have, if you have Steam VR, uh, Steam VR has something called Steam VR Home. And, like, normally you log into a lobby and it's just you. But um, you can go to anybody else's lobby and, like, they can launch their games from that lobby. That's so cool. But they, and you, you can know, actually you like can walk come, around, you can walk and interact, around. and talk. And, and these lobbies are huge. Like the my default is Delfino Plaza, <laughs> from Super Mario Sunshine. Um, so whenever That's I boot epic. up, whenever I boot up Steam VR, um, I'm just standing uh, right next to the big statue in Delfino Plaza, and I have all my games like on the statue. That's, but like that's pretty cool. I go. Um, people are there's almost always somebody hosting a big old Hyrule Field, and like you can walk around Hyrule Field from Ocarina of Time. Yeah, wow. And see everything. Yeah, and, like, I don't know, there's a bunch of them. Like, the Rick and Morty garage, people have that up. Like, 
it's just wild. Anywhere so you can imagine cool. the Star Trek bridge, um, the Stargate headquarters thing. Like, See, like we're already seeing like you can hang out in these cool places from like all sorts of different fiction and in like, VR. Like, honestly, all the draw of all the draw of any of the VR stuff, like social VR, is there for me too because you can talk to people. People have an avatar, but you know you don't get the anime people there that you get in VR chat. I guess. That, that bother me, that, like, kind of pull me out of it. Like, I like the silliness of VR chat, but I feel like there's just a bunch of people who get in there and just start screaming and stuff. Yeah, there are some problems, obviously, right now with VR chat and v- social VR stuff that need need to be addressed and ironed out. Like like you said, like, the just the trolls or whatever. Right. Like, I, I've read a couple articles on, like, uh, certain rooms being hosted in VR chat where, like, someone enters and there are, like, some really graphic, like, gory images, like, everywhere, like... Yeah, And, I like, that's that. that's really bad. Like, obviously, like, what if, like, a small kid had entered the room or whatever? Like, you don't want to, like... They need a way of, like, monitoring for sensitive content. But then, yeah. again, how are you going to do that? Because, like... Well, there's, there's, there's another thing I saw. This is semi-related, uh, again. But, um... I saw a video of somebody having a seizure in VR chat, like oh, a real man. seizure. Like they had a headset on, they fell on the ground. That like, you can hear the sounds they're making. You can see like their body, like and everything. And like That's there's a bunch strange. of like weird cartoon characters like gathered around them. Some of them are still joking around because they don't realize the severity of it because they're playing a video game. But then the people that are like that realize this is real, this is happening. Like somebody they don't know you where that person is. You can't do anything for them. You they know? have no like, idea you where literally. You could be thousands of miles away from this yeah. person, and you have no idea who they are. You know, like, but yeah. you're right next. to I them. I mean, the person ended up being fine, but, but you're like, simultaneously right next to them. How yeah. crazy is that? Yeah, and there's nothing you can like. You can't shout and get help from their house or anything because odds are they have headphones on. Like, <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. What a crazy time to yeah. like be into video games. Yeah. Honestly, it's wild. Like the tech, I feel like is just advancing faster and faster. I saw. Um, I was walking around in the in the rec room, um, uh, in the rec room the other day, and uh, somebody was reading a poster on the wall, and I walked and I walked up next to him, and he was like, "Man, this is sad, isn't it?" And it, the poster said like, um, it was something about like changing the way people communicate, and he was like, "I don't know." The way he saw it, he was like, "It's sad that people are going to do this instead of communicating in person." But the way I see it, right. it's the opposite. Like, this supplements that like. I don't know, when I was little, on a school night, I didn't tend to be able to go over to my friends' houses and, like, hang out with them. I guess a lot of fears stem from the fact that, like, people are afraid maybe their kids won't develop proper social skills. See, I would say the opposite. I would say that VR is going to make people develop better social skills. Like, I, than Xbox Live, at least. Like, nobody, nobody in VR is telling me... I believe, yeah, I agree it'll be better than Xbox Live, but there is something to be said about actually face-to-face interacting with someone. Like, that... I mean, that, that's an I'm making, very natural human social element that everyone needs to have I mean, while, while I'm growing ma- up. I make eye contact when I'm talking to people in <laughs> VR. I mean, like, I know that's not your point, but, like, the, there's little stuff that, like, I definitely do. It'll be very interesting to see, like, the social aptitude of kids who were brought up on VR, ch- VR chat. Yeah. Like, versus kids t- in our generation. It took know? me forever to, like be able to just walk up to somebody in VR and have a conversation. It took me a while to, like, work up the courage to do that because it was just so weird. I feel like, I don't know, like, personally, I feel like that would be easier for me to do in VR than in real life if I didn't know said person, you know? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know any of these people, but then I, like, because 
I don't have a problem talking to people in like Counter Strike or something because like I'm never gonna see them again. They're not real. They're not like they're just not real. But like in in Rec Room, like I'm probably never gonna see them again. But that's a person. That's a person standing over there, like doing whatever they're doing. Your brain connects more dots than are actually there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like like I I I view them as a person that I'm gonna like interact with like i'm gonna see them again in the future maybe and that's just not true i'm not i'm I mean, never gonna see them and like again. all of those things apply to that same person in that call of duty lobby or whatever you know right yeah but they yeah they're not they they don't they're have not a walking body. around they're not, yeah. they're not walking around i don't see them yeah just hanging out it's wild i'll also say like man it's it's weird to like be standing there like afterwards and like see your opponent like they can see you, you can talk to them and everything. And like this person just shot me. <laughs> like you know. Oh, you mean like in the In rec room. Yeah. Like yeah. Like you're standing there. I just got shot and they just come up, they take From, like laser tag or whatever? Yeah, laser baseball? tag. They yeah. come up, they take your gun and like I don't know, you can't even be that mad. Like it's like a sport. Like you wanna be a good sport. You don't wanna sit there and talk trash. Yeah. I don't know. I'm personally eager to see once we get things like Arma into VR. There's already a PUBG clone. Like, that'd be brutal. It'd bring everything that I like about Arma, which is the fact that it's really visceral, and make it even worse in a way. I don't know. I don't think Arma will get brought... Like, VR already brings so much realism, like... All the different crouching and stuff that was, like, a huge deal that Arma had, like, all the different things yeah. you can do with your gun and all. A VR first-person shooter is going to have all that anyway because it has to. The thing about Arma is that people already get something that tracks their head movements mm-hmm. so that they can look around in-game much easier. So VR isn't a real big step for them versus, like, Call of Duty. A VR Call of Duty would be insane. A VR Arma would be, oh, hey, now I don't have to buy this expensive head-tracking headset. VR Call of Duty, I don't know if that can happen, honestly. The more I think about it, like... I'm how, sure people will figure out a way to do it. It's, no, the, the thing about it is, like, when I'm playing Rec Room, I'm shooting paintballs at somebody, but that's another person. Like, I know that's another person, and I'm shooting Grab them a with paintballs. machine gun and just blast them but in yeah, the head. Like, like yeah. yeah, blowing the brains off of, out of somebody that I know for sure is a real person. Like, I'm watching them move and walk around for real, and then shooting them, I don't know. Like, you no, know, yeah, that might be an interesting line we don't want to cross. You know, yeah, getting I mean, getting people more comfortable with do actually doing that. You know, yeah, definitely not with realistic graphics. Because like, you know, like, it's one thing in like VR Skyrim where like they're not real, they're NPCs. You know, you can swing a sword at them; it's not that big a deal. Like, yeah, but yeah, that might like revitalize the whole argument against games. That's yeah. kind of been seeing some I'll, resurgence yeah. now. Uh, with, like, gun control and all of that. Yeah, and I think it's a load of baloney right now, but, like, with VR and in the... They'll have more fuel in their tank. More, definitely. To, more the, and more honestly, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they will have an argument, I think, once VR is mainstream with kids and stuff. We'll see. I yeah. think as long as we have games, there's going to be people who are morally panicking about them, so... I mean, yeah, as long as we have media. media. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, we kind of got off topic there. Any final thoughts for social VR? Uh, I don't know. If you have a VR headset and you haven't tried it out, you really, really, really need to. Because it's probably the best experience out there right yeah, now. He's directing that at me. My my final thought is, do you know D-Way? That's it. That's, that's oh, all I got. Yeah. For, for, for people who don't know, the whole 
Uganda knuckles meme. All of you got yeah. VR chat was all knuckles for like two that. Or, that originated in VR chat and like exploded actually, onto the internet. Like the Ugandan warrior kind of thing. It originated with Forsen and PUBG, I think. And then <clears throat> they went to VR chat and took a model of knuckles from like a Greg or like what was his name? It was Greg something or something Greg animation that he did for a review of Sonic Boom. And then they 3D modeled that and rolled it into VR chat. So, it's a wild ride. Yeah, yeah there I mean, clearly as you just heard there are pros and cons. <laughs> so anyways, our last topic is going to be tabletop games. Tabletop games aren't video games, but a lot of core video game design philosophies have been lifted from tabletop games and they're very important and without them I don't think we'd have video games in the way we do today. Yeah, and I also feel like tabletop RPGs specifically are making a real comeback like D&D isn't seen as something you're like a huge nerd for doing anymore. I think it's I mean, I mean maybe you are, but like that's not a bad thing anymore like well, just in general being a huge nerd is more socially acceptable now. Yeah, so I think tabletop games like I don't know that many people that haven't tried D&D, which is short for for the layman, short for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean like I've only played one game of D&D before, but I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's very minimalist. I mean, it's like playing an RPG like uh, like an RPG video game. Except you have to imagine like the combat and uh, like the movement and like the story beats. There's a facilitator, the dungeon master, who like kind of guides your party through the story. But like the combat is all done through dice rolls, and um, and inherently that might sound like a bad or boring thing, but like your imagination really kicks into gear when you start one of these things, and you and you feel invested. Right, and like. Uh, you can, you know, at first when people first start playing, there's a lot of people that are just like, oh, I attack or something. But, like, eventually as you've played a little more, you're more creative and you're, like, thinking, like, oh, well, what what in my environment could I use to my advantage? Because anything, like, anything within reason, like, you can do. There's nothing, there, there are no, like, there's no, oh, they didn't program it in so you can't do it. Yeah, the only restriction is your own imagination. Right. Yeah. And And the rules of the world you're in. Like, you could quite literally just banish the final boss of the game and win. Like, if you're a powerful enough warlock, the DM can't say, no, you can't banish him, because you can banish him. You just have to get reluctant on that dice roll. And if you do banish him, then the DM's now confused as to what to do. Yeah, and there are all kinds of, like, if you want to, you can really make your DM mad, by, which is short for Dungeon Master. You can make your DM mad by, like, going off track on the story, because really... If you if you have a fun DM, like you don't have to follow their story exactly. There can be more open ended stuff, and like it can be as complicated or as simple as you want it to be. Like Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, which is what I would recommend any new player get into right now, um, and then maybe branch out from there if you're into it. But um, it's so simple. Like if you have help making a character, you don't really have to learn a game because your turn comes around and you'll say what you want to do, and then your dungeon master is going to tell you what roles you have to make to do it because it's not very difficult. Like, especially if you're playing a character that doesn't use magic, most of the stuff you'll be doing is, like, uh, you know, like, not super complicated yeah, like rules-wise. Yeah, like, roll a d20. The thing about magic is, like, a simple fireball spell is a handful of dice. 
right, to yeah. roll damage. So if you want that complicated experience, you can play a magic user and have to learn all this stuff, but and potentially be more powerful because of it in the game. But um, you can play, you can play and have a ton of fun with a very simple rule set as like a fighter or a barbarian. Then you can even adapt your the systems, like D and D systems, to other universes. Right, and even even then, there's there's a tabletop RPG for anything. Like there's one for like simulating like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer or a supernatural type, you know, kind of setting in a game. There's one for that. There are Fallout RPGs out there. Yeah, like a group of me and the other speedrunners of Bioware games are got a DM off Reddit, and we're adapting Stars Without Numbers, which is a old school kind of style sci-fi tabletop game we're adapting it to mass effect and running it through that and like it's insane what you can do yeah and i just wanted to bring up if you haven't played one of these before you'll find that when you do like everyone who's playing all of their creativity and imagination really comes to the forefront when you play and really shapes a unique experience to that group you're playing with yeah it definitely like no no two groups i've played with have had the same atmosphere really yeah like the the group i played with you amid like that was probably my favorite so far cuz like we were all just kind of bouncing off of each other pretty effectively but i've also been in groups where like our characters don't get along or something and like maybe we don't get along in in real life but that just it adds to the game in a way sometimes. Like, yeah. like everything you bring with you when you start a D&D session shapes the way that that session works. Right, because, like, I don't know, you decide which rules you want to follow. It's a board game, you know? There's nothing rigid. Like, if you want to make up rules to make something possible, then you can talk with your DM and make it happen, you know? You can do anything you want. Yeah, your DM, if he thinks an ability is too powerful, is like, yeah, make change that so it's only once a day or whatever. Like, I've had that happen to me where I was playing a race that was added in, like, a supplement. It was, like, a cat person race, and they had the ability to get a free, like, massive amount of movement every combat turn, every other combat turn. And it was decidedly broken. So the DNC was just lo- told me that's a once-a-day thing now. <laughs> Because it was broken. Yeah. I could move halfway across the game, the 18 spaces in no time at all. And, um, I, yeah. And another thing, like, my character's backstory, like, I wanted him to have proficiency in a particular weapon. Uh, and, um, nothing in the rules, like, really facilitated that. Uh, but it wasn't, like, something that would have made him overpowered. It wasn't even a weapon I intended to use a lot. I just kind of, like, I-, I wanted the character to have it because it made sense given the story I'd given him. And so I talked to our DM, and he was like, yeah, sure, it's not a big deal. Like, he, he took something else away from me, I think. I forget what. But it was, you know, it was a fair trade. It felt balanced. None of us, you know, nobody was upset because it's not like you're playing against other players. Yeah, having a good DM, I think, is the key to having a good experience. Definitely. Yeah. And kind of developing your own story. Like, when we were making characters for the Mass Effect, uh, it starts about numbers play. Me and another character... And another, one of the other guys, are we theory crafted that I was, as a Krogan, was the father to this Asari somewhere down the line. And we built an entire backstory just off a one-off one comment. Think, I don't think that's biologically possible. Yes, it is. Asari can mate with anybody. They're, oh, they're an all-female race, I forgot so about that. really. Yeah, that's true. And oh, Asari like the dad could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. Asari dad could be, could be a jellyfish. As long as they're sentient, it's fine. Jellyfish aren't sentient. 
The Hanar are. Oh. And they're jellyfish. Okay. <laughs> there are sentient jellyfish. Um, I just kind of wanted to revisit the idea of, like, creativity um, during D&D games. I've heard of, like, a lot of content creators, like, people who've written books, like, movies, video games, all based off of stuff that has happened in a D&D session. Oh, like, yeah. Just the places that D&D game took them was so compelling and interesting and like, it, it gave them fuel for their next piece of art they wanted to create. There's so much you can do, like, as a player, even not as a DM. Like, just being creative, like, some powers you can get in the game just don't seem particularly useful. But, like, if you're, if you're in the right mindset, they can be. Like, um, there's a spell called Mage Hand that's, like, something you can use pretty regularly. Uh, I forget how many times a day. I, don't, I haven't played in a while, so my knowledge of the rules is a little rusty right now. But it, it lets you use telekinesis on something less than five pounds. And that doesn't seem like something that's ever going to be useful in combat, really. But um, I was able to grab five pounds of hot ash out of a fire and throw them in somebody's face. And that's not nothing, for sure. I mean, five pounds of hot ash is a lot. Like, stuff like that. It's just, like, creative problem solving can really... And if you have a good DM, they'll reward that kind of creativity a lot. Yeah, just talking about this makes me want to go back and do it again. Yeah, I miss it. I miss um, it a lot. I haven't had a chance to play in a long time. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I don't know. I feel like to people who haven't tried it before, like, it doesn't sound, like, inherently appealing. Right. But, like, I really have to encourage everyone, everyone who's into video games, at least, to just give it a shot. Or at least everybody that's into RPGs. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd like yeah. that better. Everyone who's into RPGs um, would really kind of relate to, enjoy, and... Definitely have like a really creative, uh, re- creative session if they gave it a shot. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, so we're gonna end the show with talking about games we played. Um, but also, this episode marks our one-year anniversary uh, since we started the show. So I kind of wanted us to also, in addition to talking about what we've been playing talk about maybe our favorite game of the past year and, like, maybe whatever game experiences shaped your last year and that stood out to you. Um, And I guess I'll start. I've been playing a game called A Way Out, and A Way Out is a very interesting... It's a game with a very interesting mechanic. It can only be played with two people. Um, So if you don't have anyone to play it with, it'll match you up with someone online. The story of this game involves two guys who are in prison and have and basically form a plan to bust out and what they do once they get out, uh, in 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 the most vague of terms. Um, but I found the game super interesting. It's not very long. It can be finished in a couple sessions. Just the way that game uses co-op, I haven't really seen that in a game before that I've played. Both players are playing simultaneously for the majority of the game, and obviously what one player does affects the other, and like sometimes one player gets into a situation only the other player can help them out of, and both people have to creatively solve problems and execute on things to make the story move forward. And the story is pretty interesting on its own, too. Um, so that's a, it, it's a nice hook to keep playing. And uh, I will say that there's like a twist around the end that kind of 
really made the game uh, stand out in my mind and make it like uh, very memorable for me. And um, as a hint, I'll just say that twist would not be possible if the co-op system was not in place. So, yeah, I mean, the, just the co-op nature of the game made that twist possible and made it extremely effective. That sounds interesting. I definitely wish there were more co-op games around right now. So that's good to hear that there are some. I can't I can't comment this on this game because I know you're trying to not be huge on spoilers. Um, yeah, let's just all go through what we played and then we can circle back around. So, okay, Michael. Oh uh, well, EU four is actually really good, surprisingly, for so being set. What, what is EU four? Europa Universalis. Is oh, the Europa one, Universalis. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's set in colonial, pre-colonial Europe. So right around the time colonialism starts, and I, it ends. I was this, this close to buying that game on Steam. Yeah, but, uh, it starts sorry, go ahead. in the 1800s. It ends in the 1800s. Starts in the 1400s. So you have like a 300 year span, 400, 300, 400 year span to basically turn your country into a global superpower. And it has some in-depth mechanics, you know. Like, eventually you get to go over to America and start colonizing. And you could have, say, Irish Irish Caribbean if you really wanted to. Or so Irish. Is it like civilization but, like, on steroids and more confined yeah. time-wise? It's on steroids and more confined and all real-time. There's no turn base. Oh, wow. Oh, really? It's all real-time. So how, long's, like, how long does it take? <sighs> Hours. Long. It takes at least a day to do a session or more. Wow, that's a lot. So it's not something you should play through all in one nope. sitting. Okay. Because uh, 100 years is like two, three hours. Oh, wow. Even at the fastest speed, it still takes a while to go through those 400 years. That's crazy. So it's not a game you can sit down and finish in a day. You need weeks Okay. to finish it. Yeah, that definitely sounds like something like once I get tired of Civ 6, I would probably jump into There, There definitely is a learning curve. And it it's probably one of the easier ones to learn in Crusader Kings. Hearts of Iron is just a mess to learn. Well, it's not actually that hard to learn either. None of them are hard to learn. They just take some time. Michael? Or I'm Connor. Connor. Yeah, Connor? Um, I'm torn. I kind of want to talk about Rec Room, but I already did that. So uh, I'll go The Witness. So uh, my girlfriend has been uh, really wanting to play The Witness, so I picked it up for us to play through uh, this last weekend. We didn't beat it, but we played through a good bit of it, um, probably about 70%. And uh, it's really cool. It's, um, it's by Jonathan Blow, the same guy who did Braid. And it really kind of asks, it, it, or it answers the question, how far can you take one puzzle mechanic? Like, because it's all, the whole game is just these little line puzzles. Like, uh, other than saying that, it's hard to describe them. But, like, you move through all these new areas, and, like, every area has kind of a theme of what type of line puzzle you're going to find there. And you figure out the rules of that theme, and you have to, like, solve them. And then about halfway through, he'll usually throw in some sort of weird twist. And uh, you have to keep solving them. And I'm not... I'm not as big on puzzles as she is, but it's like this game is really cool to me as a as a designer even like looking at it. It it, it interests me a lot because there are parts of this game that you genuinely I can't even imagine playing through them without a pen and paper. Like we had to draw we had to draw out a map to like map out the area because the look of the area 
if affected whether or not we could take a certain path on the line puzzle, if that makes any sense. Like, there was a maze in in the world that was not inside the puzzle, sort of. Stuff like that. So we had to map everything out, and it was just very cool. Like, all these different puzzles, like, I think I've seen everything, and it surprises me every step of the way. Yeah, that echoes a lot of what I've heard about The Witness. And uh, another thing, too, it's a gorgeous game. Oh, it is. It's like, beautiful. Like, you're wandering around, like at least in the initial stages, like this giant outdoor environment and the colors are so vibrant. Right, it is. It's very good. And there are a couple of very nice views and everything. And the environment's just very, it's very weird. It almost gives me a Dark Souls-ish vibe in a couple of ways because there's all these like people just turned into stone around and you don't know why. And I don't know that you ever figure out why. Um, I'll say that if you're not into puzzles, like don't bother because the game really doesn't like... You solve puzzles, and your reward for that is more puzzles. There's really no... There's nothing to the game other than the puzzles and the neat environment that facilitates them. I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest it to somebody who's into narrative or anything like that, because you'll just be disappointed. But if you like line puzzles, you're going to love this game. <laughs> that's very, what I've heard about The Witness. Very specific niche. And but, that's my main criticism, is that it's just line puzzles. But I applaud it. Yeah, I mean, it's sticking to it. It's fun. I like it, but I don't know if I would have bought it if if I didn't have someone else who wanted to play it with me. Okay. Um, so now let's just like all we don't have to go in turns or anything, but just talk about like games that kind of shaped our last year. Uh, I mean, it it didn't release in the time frame that we want to talk about, but I think the elephant in the room for 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 you and I am it is Breath of the Wild. It came didn't out. It, didn't it release in the time? Oh, it, it released in March. Oh, wow. We're, we're well into April. Right That's now. crazy. Yeah, because our first episode was talking about Breath of the Wild. Right. And that right. game has been incredibly. I, I'm still playing it. It's been a year, and I, I was it really playing is I played the it for two that, hours yesterday. gift that keeps on giving. I mean, Nintendo, like, I can't overstate the influence this game is going to have. Like, right. this game will shape the way people design their games for the next decade, I yeah. would say, at least. I think so. Although I keep, like, I keep looking back and seeing, like, oh, like, other games that did some of the stuff that Breath of the Wild does, but none of them did it all together and so well, you know? Nintendo really, really put it all together. Um, yeah. Um, just kind of going back, like, a recent big one for me is Civilization VI. I'm sure, Mike, it has been for you, too. And not as big as, say, like, Overwatch or Warframe, but... yeah. Uh, I mean, Overwatch? obviously, another big elephant in the room, Fortnite. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Fortnite and oh, PUBG. Mode. Yeah, Fortnite and PUBG. This is the year that Battle Royale took over the world. I think Donkey, it was just today, uh, Video Game Donkey released a video. And the whole joke of the video, it's like two and a half minutes long or something. And I don't think he shows the same game twice. Like, But he's pretending he's talking about, like, like he's just not showing footage from the right game. That's the joke of the video. And he's talking about all, all these different battle royales and how they're obviously not copying off of each other. You yeah. Know? No, and but it's... that's another huge thing that will define the next sort of era of gaming. Oh, battle yeah. royales. I know? think that's probably the next big genre. And that came, it absolutely is. And that came into prominence within the last year. Uh, I mean, Fortnite, talking specifically, Fortnite's been around since, like, 2013. Yeah, but like, not Battle Royale. In its, yeah. yeah, but in its, the early, Battle Royale in its earliest iterations, it was there. But like, And now, like, the latest form of Fortnite is the Battle Royale. But it's just crazy to me yeah. th- to think this game has been in existence, and it's still in early access. It's hard but, to think that the Battle Royale portion of Fortnite took them six months. 
Yeah, because they already had all the assets from yeah. Save the World. Yeah. And it's become immensely popular on a development time of six months. Yeah, it's wild, but yeah. it's so fun. But And Battle Royale, though, had been sitting in the background kind of simmering for years. Like, ever since H1Z1 released their Battle Royale, way, way back, like 2014, 2016, somewhere like really? that. And nobody cared. Yeah, because no, the cared. original Battle Royale was an Arma 3 mod. Yeah. And people were playing it then, and then stuff like the culling came out, and there was a little, little, little tiny little wave of battle royales that came out. The people who and then d- PUBG came out. The people who do new things first are almost never the most successful. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, um, I don't have an issue with all these clones coming out either. Personally, I um, I played one just yesterday called uh, Radical Heights. It's like just come out. It's by the same developers as Lawbreakers, I think. And it was terrible. I had no fun at all. <laughs> But it had some really cool mechanics that, like, the others don't have that they could have. Like, instead of a shrinking circle, the map was a grid, and certain areas of the grid would get disabled. So, like, it creates routes. Like, it would create these hallways, even. I think Darwin Project is the same thing, where they close off, like, a corner, a section of the map. Yeah. And so, you won't take damage. So, eventually, you'll be pushed towards the center, but you can close that. They close down the outer portions of the map. But anyways, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to linger on this too long because we have other yeah. big yeah. games so to talk like about. So like Battle Royales, Fortnite and PUBG in particular. Um, well, I, th- I want to give a mention to uh, Super Mario Odyssey, A Hat in yeah. Time, the Spyro Trilogy got announced. Kind of like the and the Crash Trilogy, I believe, got yeah. released in the same time. For, Although I wouldn't really like put that in the same. resurgence of like the, 3D platformers. The, yeah, the 3D Although I wouldn't consider Crash really a collect-a-thon 3D platformer, is it? it it's not. I don't, so well, I don't actually, really. the first one isn't at least. I haven't. I don't really put it in the same vein as, like, A Hat in Time and Super Mario Odyssey. I guess it's in the same vein as those, like, wacky animated PS1-era, like... Right. Like, that seems to be a trend going forward, like, bringing those back. But A Hat in Time and Super Mario Odyssey (laughs) both came out and were very successful, and I hope that, like, is a return to form, not just for Nintendo, not just for um, Gears for Breakfast, I think they're called, that did A Hat in Time. But like for the genre, uh, yeah, I want that genre to make a resurgence because Hat in Time is the most adorable game I think I've ever played, just through and through. Like no game has made me like just fe- it, it, I don't know how to describe the feeling I had, but it was just like so adorable looking at these environments. And uh, and I intend to play. There's a DLC coming out for that game, and I already know I'm gonna play it the second it comes out, and I'm gonna um. Uh, releasing a co-op mode that'll be huge. <clears throat> and those, those two games, I just think, are going to be very formative. Um, oh, gosh. I'm trying to think. A lot of the games I want to talk about fall just outside the period. Right, Breath like, of the Wild. For Horizon instance. came out in February 2017. Yeah. Um, we started I mean, a bad we time. had to talk about but Breath of the Wild is an exception. Yeah. That's the kind of what we started the podcast on. So Right, and the, um, the Switch in general. Well, it came out last fall that was of consequence. I mean, I could talk about Overwatch, since Overwatch technically just keeps coming out with every new update. Oh, uh, Skyrim was huge. released last fall. Yeah, Skyrim was released. Again. Yeah. Again. Uh, I could talk about Overwatch, because, you know, they keep updating that game, even though it's almost two years old now. Well, Overwatch is one of those games that's just, yeah. it's a platform. It's, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's, it's not going to go anywhere. Much like every Blizzard game, really. Yeah. And they Except just Diablo. released a new PvE mode, and with... Since last this year, last time they released Uprising, which was a PVE mode that displayed a lot of lore. This year they released Uprising, and Retribution, which is a completely new PVP mode with new characters that you play, and a new map. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So you play as 
the Black Watch squad, which is McCree, Moira, uh, Reaper, and who's the last one? Who's the last one? Uh, Genji. Instead of an uprising, you played as Reinhardt, Mercy, Torbjorn, and Tracer. Who are doing something completely different, like three weeks after Uprising takes place. So yeah, yeah Blizzard, bl- Blizzards are just masters of what they do. Like, they're so good at sustaining games. Destiny Two came out and died. Yeah, de- that's that's something of note. I <laughs> yeah, mean, Destiny it's still technically out. alive. They're still updating it, but like no one's playing it. Yeah, Sea of Thieves um, came out and did its thing. Did its thing. <laughs> Um, oh, Animal Crossing um, Pocket Camp, I think, did a little bit for the mobile industry. A little. Oh, you know what? Um, hugely formative for the mobile industry is probably Fortnite Mobile and PUBG Mobile Absolutely. coming out. That'll be huge. You know, it's horli- greatly formative for the microtransaction market. It came out in the last year. We spent an entire episode complaining about it. Battlefront 2. Oh, yeah. I can't believe we almost forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah, goodness. The yeah, the, the debate brought up by Battlefront EA 2, the loot controversy, yeah. yeah. It's been a big year for games. I uh 2016 and 2017 both really were huge. Yeah, I mean just going back to the EA thing in particular, like after seeing what happened to Battlefront, you haven't seen any games recently oh, yeah, come er- out that have implemented a similar They're getting removed from Shadow yeah, of War. So Good because I heard the third act of Shadow of War was just one massive. So grind. far, I mean, it hasn't been very long, but so far it seems like the negative backlash to that has—it's ended. It has had good effects on the industry. Pretty soon, we're gonna have to do another E3 episode too. Yeah, and hope that comes out before E3 this year. <laughs> God, we have not been—we've not been good with getting episodes out <laughs> in a timely manner. So that's all that really did anything for me this year. I feel like I'm missing something, but I can't think of anything right now. There was no Uncharted game this year, was there? Uncharted The Lost Legacy. I don't know if yeah. that came in. Nothing spectacular, though, I don't think. It was uh, It was very good. Yeah, but it was it was Uncharted, right? And it yeah, didn't yeah. shake anything up. It was just yeah. good because it's Uncharted. Yeah. I don't know if Dwarf Fortress updated this year because Dwarf Fortress updating is a major thing because that only happens once every two years. I'm still playing DF16, I think. 2016. Yeah, I think 2016 is the last like big version, but I think there was an update this year or something. Like he's he's working on it just very slowly because <coughs> it's one man and like a thirty-two thousand dollar budget. Sonic Mania happened. Oh uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, Sonic Mania. And sort of brought Sonic massive back from return the to form. Brink. Yeah, Sonic br- Force has also happened. The brink of mediocrity. Yeah, he's not back. Sonic Force has happened as well. Yeah, yeah Sonic Forces true. was. But Sonic Mania, but was Sonic Mania proved that Sonic could be good in the right hands. I mean, which, I can just which is something yeah. that wasn't evident at the time. I can sit down and like, if I have a couple of minutes, sometimes I'll sit down and I'll just throw on Sonic Mania and play through its Green Hill Zone again, like just because it's like it's fun to play for a couple minutes, even though I know that level like the back of my hand. I've played it so many times. But that's the beauty of Sonic levels. I think they're so replayable. Something else I want to just give a shout out to. Cuphead came out in September. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and, oh yeah, and give us that great. That was soundtrack. a very fresh take on a two D action platformer. Yeah, boss rush. Yeah. Two D shoot 'em up. Uh, I also want to give out a shout out to Assassin's Creed Origins, which oh yeah is yeah. Um, another return sort of, to form. Yeah, a return to form and a redefinition of what it means to be an Assassin's Creed game. Oh yeah, I forgot Wolfenstein Two came out too. I, I haven't played it. I feel like I it kind of whimpered. It didn't it didn't have the huge impact the first one did. Persona 5 came out in April. 
so it like, kind of barely makes the cutoff. Yeah, okay. but there wasn't a lot of stuff we could talk about that one other than their streaming shut off. Oh, really? Yeah, the mm. the company said no streaming after this point hmm. because we don't want any spoilers. Yeah, that was that was a bit of a controversy, but the game yeah. itself was phenomenal. Like uh definitely an easy game game of the year candidate for 2017. Um but yeah, I mean, I think that's about everything in terms of major events and major games within the last year. Unless you have anything else to add? Mm, no. I just, no. Well, I mean, my I don't know when they came out, but my first experiences with VR were in that time. And that's been huge for me. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that kind of shake, shook gaming to the very core. Like, EA happened. Yeah. 2017 was supposed to be the year of VR, I think, yeah. wasn't it? And that... Only sort of happened. But it did happen a but little. It, yeah, but it's laying a foundation, which it I think is the most yeah. important thing. It didn't not grow VR a lot. And and VR, I mean, they're still relevant. Like, we had a VR topic today. I uh-huh. mean, there's always new stuff to talk about with VR because it's growing so quickly. Right. Um, and I'm sure we'll have more topics in the future, too. This is also, I think 2017 was also the year where Steam machines finally died. They're still for sale. I think most of them are gone now. No, they're new. I could have swore yeah. they took them off the Steam page, though. They didn't. They took them. Um, they don't have a front page spot anymore. Yeah. But they are still for sale, and they still exist. I don't know anyone that's ever bought a Steam machine, honestly, or uses Steam OS. Yeah, Steam OS is garbage. Because, as like Steam made a mistake there. I'm not gonna get into it, but that was a mistake. But at the time, it seemed like a great idea because Windows 8 was out, and Windows 8 was a heaping garbage fire. For everything. But now we have Windows 10 and we're all fine and dandy again. And being spied on. That's yeah. unrelated. That's unrelated. What? Being spied on with Windows 10. It's a... Oh, okay. At least it runs like, games well. Right now, like, I looked outside and was like, what's happening? It's a meme with grounds in yeah. reality. But anyways, yeah, I think that covers most of like what has happened since we started the podcast. Yeah, it's been a big year. So yeah, I think we'll end it here and hopefully we'll have our second year be even better. Yep. Hopefully. All right. See you next time, guys.